The following message entitled, Hope for the Hopeless and Helpless, was given by Joe Ryer on the 14th of June, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. If you have a Bible, open to Mark chapter 5. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here at Saving Grace Church. And during the month of June... Um, rather than going through a book of the Bible, like we just finished up Romans and we're heading to the book of Joshua in July, um, each week um, one of the pastors is just going to pick a passage or section of the Bible that they feel particularly stirred up about, feel like the Lord wants us to speak on. So we heard from Bob last week. Uh, this morning I'm going to preach from Mark chapter 5, which I'm really excited about. And then we're going to hear two messages from Mark Uh, for the rest of June. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 5. And the title of this message is Hope for the Hopeless. Hope for the Hopeless. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a true account that Mark records in the book of Mark. And it's a sort of a worst case situation, a worst case condition or scenario, and the hope is from this worst case scenario that we would all have hope for ourselves, and we all would have hope for those in our family, our workplace, our neighborhood, our community who are in a desperate spot, and we would would just have an increased vision of what Jesus can do for us personally, or for those we care about. A lot about. So, with that in mind, look at Mark chapter 5. And I want you to use your imagination here as I read this account. I, I looked up a number of background music scenarios for this passage. I couldn't find one that wouldn't make kids cry, so I decided to, to skip that idea. But this, this scene, if we were in it, we would be scared um, left to ourselves. So, with that in mind, look at verse 1. So this is Jesus and the disciples. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This is a demon-possessed man. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. Night and day, the tombs, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when Jesus saw him from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, the demon-possessed man said, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he, Jesus, gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out 
and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Now the herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus. And they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind. They were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. And he was, as he was getting to the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Jesus, as we consider this passage, Lord, for those present this morning who are hopeless, they came in, their lives are a mess. Their circumstances are just overwhelming. Lord, I pray You would give them hope this morning. Their eyes would be open to see how powerful and mighty and compassionate You are. Lord, as we consider this passage and we think of our loved ones who are lost and enslaved to all sorts of sins and addictions and, and maybe in prison for a long time or maybe we don't even know where they are. Lord, You do and You love them. And Lord, would You give us faith for them this morning. And Lord, as we consider this passage, we pray that You would make us a compassionate church for those who are desperately lost and enslaved and without hope apart from You. And give us opportunities to share You, Jesus, with those that are in desperate need of rescue. But we're excited what You're about to do through this passage. And we ask this in Your name. Amen. Well, the title is Hope for the Hopeless. The three main points are consider the hopeless and helpless condition. Consider the power, compassion, authority, and mercy of Jesus. And consider the strong responses to Jesus. First point, consider the hopeless and helpless condition. The account I just described is a true account. And I want us with our mind to really think and meditate and consider what it would have been like to be this man. Mark gives us the most details out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He, he really fills out the details of this account because he wants us to understand how desperately lost and hopeless this man was. So what do we know about him from this account? Look at verse 2. Jesus steps out of the boat. So he's with the disciples he gets there immediately. This man confronts Jesus with an unclean spirit. This man was a demon-possessed man. And he lived among the tombs. What that meant is he lived basically in a graveyard. And the reason he lived in a graveyard is because the demons that had taken over his body made him so dangerous and such an outcast that he couldn't live among regular people in a regular town among a regular 
community. And Matthew tells me that he, that he wasn't alone. There was another man that also was demon-possessed. But they lived among the tombs. And if we were Jewish and we were following the Old Testament law, we would know very quickly that to be among the tombs would be to be unclean. So he was an unclean man living among the dead, completely isolated from a normal life. He had no job. He had no friends. His only acquaintance was another demon-possessed man. And Mark tells us at night he would just scream and howl. And so if you were traveling through that area, off in the distance, we would hear him screaming and yelling and gashing himself. Some translations say he cut himself with stones. And the townspeople, out of probably just mere safety, they tried to bind him with chains at times. So they would, they would shackle him and put him in chains so he would not harm himself or he would not harm others. And yet the demons were so strong inside of him that he would just burst these chains. This was a man who really was hopeless. He had no hope. There was no medicine that could free him. There were no professionals at the time that could help him. There were no family members that were near him any longer. Now, Mark doesn't tell us, but that doesn't mean he didn't have a mom and a dad and brother and sister who prayed for him and thought about him often. But they couldn't be near him because he was so dangerous and miserable. It was a desperate condition. A completely hopeless condition. If we were traveling through that area and you had your kids or your wife or your friends, everybody would huddle together and you'd stay as far away as possible. Because he was dangerous. He was a real threat. Now, this might seem like a far out idea for us because the demons are real and they exist and they do possess and they do oppress. It's not a category we often think about. But I think what what we might think about a lot more often is, is those among us who, who are just enslaved and addicted and ruled by other sins, by, by things like heroin or alcohol or gambling or pornography, that they are just ruled by a master that is not themselves. And we see the havoc they, they make on themselves and on others. Regularly, as Bob and I get to share the gospel with men and women who have been arrested and imprisoned for addictions and crimes that are related, a number of them have been homeless for quite some time because of their sins and the enslavement have, have isolated them from their friends and their family members. They have stolen from their parents and grandparents and, and did armed robbery and did all kinds of sins that they find themselves in a hopeless condition. You might be thinking, why are you dwelling so much on the hopeless condition? That's not good news. Well, the reason I want us to get the hopeless condition is because it magnifies who Jesus is and what Jesus can do and how much power and love and compassion He has. And whether it's a demon-possessed man with 
what this passage says, has a legion of demons in him, meaning it was a military term to describe up to 6,000 soldiers. So this man wasn't possessed with one demon. He was possessed with many. A great multitude of demons had overtaken his body. Whether it's a man in that hopeless condition, or a woman who is enslaved and addicted to all sorts of sins, the reality is, the Bible tells us, that by nature, spiritually, we're, we're in no better place. By nature, what we were born into is a dire, hopeless, and helpless spiritual condition. If you, if you have trouble believing me, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is the condition that you and I were born into. The Apostle Paul writes, and you were dead spiritually in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Just like the demon-possessed man, we, by nature, were in need of rescue. We're in need of being freed. We were ruled by our sinful passions and desires. And for some... That took us into addictions of many sorts. For others, it might have been a more cleaned up version of sin. A very self-made, proud, self-righteous, accomplished person. Regardless whether it's enslaved to drugs and alcohol and sexual sin, or enslaved to wanting to be perfect, either way, by nature we were all enslaved. And we are all in need of being rescued. And so this picture of this man that we don't even know his name, it will magnify the hope that we all can have in Jesus. Because his condition was desperate. This man is a man we would not have wanted to be around. If we were watching this in movie form, Probably many of us would not let our kids watch the movie because he was gashing himself with stones. He was going after people. He was a violent and brutal man. The reason I want us to get that is because what we're going to see next is is shocking. As we picture this man and think about him and then think about Jesus and his compassion and love for this man, it will magnify the hope that we have in Jesus. Which brings us to the second point. Consider the compassion, mercy, power, and authority of Jesus. I tried to pack a lot of words in there because there's a lot of different aspects of Jesus we see in this passage. So verse 11 says, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. That might not seem that significant at first glance, but... Basically, Mark's writing that to let us know we are in Gentile territory now. We have, we're not in Jewish territory. 
Pigs were unclean. We are in Gentile territory. So Jesus got in a boat. He's going to the Gentiles with the hope of Himself. And they begged Him. The demons said, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So He gave them permission. Do you catch that? This is a legion of demons. Many demons. We would be afraid in our natural selves if we saw this many demons. But they were afraid of Jesus. They had to ask Him permission. Verse 13, So He gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs in the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. So Jesus grants the permission, says you guys can go into the pigs. The pigs run over the cliff and they all drown. Kind of a bizarre picture. But it shows that Jesus had the authority to free this man and to rule over these demons and He sent them over the cliff. Now the herdsmen fled, this is verse 14, and told it in the city and in the country. The people came to see what had happened. Verse 15, And they came to Jesus. They saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. And then Jesus says at the end, He says, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. How He has had mercy on you. The first thing I want us to consider is is how much compassion Jesus had on this man. What's interesting about this account is this is right before this is when Jesus calms the storm in the middle of the night. And the disciples are saying, Jesus, we're all going to die! Help us! And He looks at the wind and the waves, and He causes the wind and the waves to be calm. And the disciples were afraid after they saw that. So this is the context. So right after that, they show up at the shoreline. You know, they might have wanted some reprieve. Let's just relax. I don't know what happened last night, but let's just calm down. And as they're thinking that, this crazy man comes up to them and is coming at them full charge. What's incredible is after Jesus frees this man, they get back in the boat and they go to the place where they came from. In other words, the entire trip on the boat was designed to come after this man and free him. Jesus had love and compassion for these demon-possessed, in many ways grotesque in behavior, men. He loved them so much that He came just for them. Just to free them. Now, if you have ever been in a place in your life where you have been completely desperate, and hopeless, and thinking your life would be better if it's over, and you look around and there are consequences everywhere for your sin, and you have no hope, and then someone shows up who can completely rearrange your life and free you and give you hope, oh, it would change everything. And that's what this man experienced. Now, Matthew 8.28 tells us, about the two guys together, when Jesus gets there to the same place, he said two demon-possessed men met him. Coming, they were coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass their way. These men were aggressive. 
They were vile. If you were a, a runner or you, you ride dirt bikes or you like to jog and you've ever been in a remote area where you know if you go past this house or go past this farm, there's going to be a pack of dogs that are coming after you. And so you're running faster, you get your mace in hand, or you're going faster on your motorcycle. These men were the human equivalent of that. You stayed away from them. You, you walked the long way around. Because you don't want your kids to see them. You don't want to interact with them. Well, that's exactly who Jesus came for. He showed so much compassion and love for these men. And if you're familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is not unusual for our Lord. Think about this. Think about all the the lepers that Jesus not only healed, but He touched. These were unclean people who because of their skin disease had to be isolated in communities. And Jesus came up and may have given them the first physical touch they've felt in months or years. And then He healed them and restored their life. Think of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He was a crook. He was an in-betweener. He he was Jewish, but he worked for Rome. And so nobody liked him. And when he collected your taxes, he put half of it in his pocket and gave half to Rome. He was a rich thief and was despised. And Jesus came and gave him salvation and gave him a new life. Think of the prostitutes that He freed and forgave. Think of the blind that He gave sight. Think of the paralyzed who had to beg for everything that He gave the ability to walk. Think about that last moment of His life on earth as He is nailed on a wooden cross and there's one criminal on His right and one on His left. And He gives eternal life to one of the criminals as His eyes are open to the reality of Jesus. Jesus loves, loves, loves to have mercy on sinners of every stripe and kind. He's filled with compassion. He's filled with mercy. Mark tells us this about Jesus in chapter 2, verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What what Mark's talking about here, what Jesus was talking about was, yes, it's true that we're all sinners, but the religious leaders of the day, they didn't realize that they were as sinful and needy as the thieves and the liars and the criminals. They thought they were okay. And Jesus said, no, I, I came for those of you who recognize your condition. I can give you hope. I can give you salvation. So if you're in a desperate spot, Jesus is the answer. He will not cast you away. If you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me. Have mercy on me. He will. So He is. He's loving. He's compassionate. He's merciful. And maybe for the rest of us, one question to ask in considering this passage is, How is your attitude for those who are difficult to love? Think about when you watch the news or see a news feed on the internet and you see crimes and yet another person overdosing on heroin or another person arrested trying to steal and rob for 
money to get drugs. Where do you go? Do you go to justice or do you go to mercy? Do you believe there's hope for the drug addicts and criminals and alcoholics and those enslaved in every way in our community, in our region? Think about it this way. I know I'm missing some, but these are some of the big ones. The Open Door, Drug and Alcohol Treatment Center here, Ark Manor, Conewago, where we go, the Armstrong Indiana Drug and Alcohol Commission, the Pine Grove State Prison, our local jail. They're all facilities that exist because men and women are enslaved to all sorts of sins. Pine Grove Prison has an inmate population as of June 2014. This is right up the road from us. 1,094 men. The average age is 38. Uh, 39% of the population is under the age of 20. In the state of Pennsylvania, heroin is the most common cited drug that people are in treatment for. And and you can probably make a case of crimes related to that as well. What does that do to you? Does it make you want to pray? Does it make you want to share the gospel? Does it make you want to give the hope of the gospel? I'm grateful for all these facilities and institutions. But we have the answer for their ultimate problem. It's Jesus. Jesus powerful and compassionate. Just so there's not misunderstanding, I'm not anti, the Bible is not anti-justice or the criminal justice system. It's a gift from God. It's to make communities safe. And so we're grateful for police officers and judges and laws. But as men and women experience the consequence for their sin and crime, we want to come alongside them with the mercy and compassion that Jesus had for this demon-possessed man. Because we have the hope of the Gospel. So do you pray for the lost? Do you pray for the worst? In our area. And I'm not talking about in our country. I'm talking about in our county. In the county you live in. Are you concerned? Are you moved? Because that's Jesus' heart. He loves to seek and save the lost. I want to encourage you a story from my own life. I was 18 years old. I was a freshman at IUP. I was not a Christian. I was enslaved to Drugs and all that came with that. I looked a wreck. Um, And there was a woman at IUP named Maria, who I'm now friends with, who worked at the cafeteria. And her job was to swipe our meal cart. So every day, pretty much for an entire year, my freshman year, I would swipe my meal cart. She, She would say hi to me. I would say hi to her. And she would pray for me. She felt like, just looking at me physically, that my life was a wreck and a mess. And so she committed to praying for me regularly. And then a year later, I came back through the lunch line, born again, a new Christian, a new creation in Christ. And she said, Joe, and we knew each other on a first name basis, she said, your eyes look different. What happened? And what happened is God answered Maria's prayers. I was at a Grateful Dead show in Washington, D.C., I was partying. It was kind of the high point of my summer at the age of 18. And hippies dancing all around me. I was on the influence of things I couldn't stand anymore. I finally came to enough to stand up 
And God spoke to me, wasn't a Christian, wasn't raised in a Christian home, that all you're living for will never satisfy you. And I, I think there's a direct connection to Maria, who worked in the cafeteria, who was praying for me. Then I began to read the Bible. I began to meet Christians. I was told the Gospel. I turned to Jesus and put my faith in Him. I'm so grateful for people like Maria. She just had a a regular job. And she was so moved by the Bible and Jesus' love for her and Jesus' love for people that it moved her to pray. If you would have picked me out of that class at IUP of most likely to be a Christian, I, I would have never made it. My whole plan to come to IUP was to not get a job and eventually fail out. I had no aspirations whatsoever. And the Lord had mercy on me. And as a church, the starting place for us is we're no different. You and I are no different than anyone else who has come to Christ. We came to Christ because He had mercy on us. Now some of you, He's been so merciful, He spared you from many outward sins. He's plucked you up at a very young age and preserved you. That's awesome. So I pray for my own kids. But some of us, we went further out and we were entangled in a mess. And He reached down and He plucked us out. Well, He is a merciful, merciful Savior. And He wants us to be a merciful, merciful church and people. Romans 5, 6-8, Paul says, this is true for all of us who are in Christ. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So consider the mercy compassion of Jesus. Next, consider the power and authority of Jesus. Consider the power. This is a powerful account here. It takes power to cast a legion of demons out of someone. Demons being these spiritual beings that are God's enemies, ruled by their master, Satan. Jesus comes to the shore. Everybody else was afraid of this man and the demons that possessed him. Everybody. Everybody stayed away. Everybody tried to bind and shackle. Nobody could do anything for this man or to this man. Jesus shows up and the demons are afraid of Him. Jesus shows up and they say, don't, don't cast us out into the wilderness Please let us go into the pigs. Jesus is the King. And they knew it. They knew it just by first glance. They knew exactly who He was. They knew He had authority. And they knew He had power. And they were afraid of Him. If we were walking through that cemetery, every hair on your arm and head and body would be standing up just by the shrills and the shrieks. We don't know what the disciples were doing, but I guarantee they weren't in front of Jesus. They were probably behind Jesus. Okay, well, he calmed the storm. Maybe he can do something here too. We're going to just stand back, watch him work, watch his power, watch his authority. 
His real power and authority. And they knew it right away. So as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of the spiritual realm and Satan and demons. They are real. But we're in Christ if you're a believer. So we're with Him. We're with the King who has all authority and all power. And He lives in us. And so we are safe and secure. But we want to get the power. In, uh, in my devotional time the past few weeks, I've been reading through First and Second Kings. And one thing that, that's clear in the book of Kings, First and Second, is whether it's a good king or a bad king, whether it was a king that was honoring the Lord or dishonoring the Lord, they had real power and real authority. I haven't done this, but if you just count the people that were executed under the, the orders of the kings, it's a large number of people because they had real authority and power. We don't live in a monarch. We're not used to thinking that way, that the king walks in and we drop to the ground. We get a glimpse of a different side of Jesus in this account as well. Yes, He is compassionate. Yes, He is loving. Yes, He is merciful. But He is the King. And He has all authority. And He has all power. And if demons bow down to Him, how much more should we, as His followers, out of respect and reverence, So He can help you no matter what your situation or circumstance. If you're not a Christian, He can bring salvation and freedom. If you are a Christian and something has just got a hold of you so tight, you have a King who has all authority and all power to free you. You need to come to Him. You need to ask Him for forgiveness. You need to ask Him for help. And as you do, you will experience power and freedom. So as we think about this, it was in some ways nothing for Jesus to say, okay, legion of demons, go into the pigs, drive them off the cliff. All right, done with that one, on to the next one. He didn't sweat, he didn't fear, he didn't shake, he just did it. So powerful. Now, what's interesting about this account is the responses to Jesus. So get a man, if we lived in that surrounding area that we have heard for years, screaming and howling and gnashing himself, and we send the strongest of our community to bind him occasionally. And all of a sudden we hear, he's free. He's regular, he's normal. He's back to his normal mind, state of being. How would you respond? This is the third point. Consider the strong responses to Jesus. How would you respond you lived in that town. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told the city and the country. So these were the, the owners of the pigs. They lost a lot of money at that moment when the pigs went off the cliff. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. So one response was they were afraid. We've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anyone like this. It's very similar to how the disciples responded when Jesus told the wind and the waves to stop. They were afraid. That's a, that's a natural response in the presence of greatness, in the presence of power. It can be a healthy part of that response. But listen to what they, they do next. 
And those who had seen it, seen what happened, described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed men and to the pigs. So they're given the play-by-play. Here's what happened. We had our pigs. This guy's going crazy. Jesus cast out. The pigs go off the cliff. And the guy's just sitting here normal. So they're all riled up. But rather than coming to Jesus, look at what they do. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They began to beg Jesus to get out of here. They'd just seen Jesus free this man, give him his life back. And they said, get out of here. Now Mark doesn't tell us why. We can speculate. One, I think, legitimate possibility, at least for the herdsmen, would be we just lost a lot of money. We care more about our possessions and our money than we do this one man who was crazy to start with. And they said, get out of here. We don't want anything to do with you. We don't want you. We don't want what you do for people. That's one possibility. I think if we're honest, that can be a a response as Christians as well as we think about the worst part of our society or community. We might have these knee-jerk reactions at times that I just wish they weren't here. Take them to jail. Put them far away. We've got other things to, to worry about. But that's not how Jesus wants us to respond. He wants us to know He didn't just come for that man. He came for us. And once He comes for us, He wants us to help get men like that and women like that back into the fold, back into His family, back into His kingdom. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. As followers of Christ, if Jesus is our treasure and saving, watching Him save lost people, is close to our heart. It will bring you so much joy. And when you get to heaven, and Jesus is welcoming everybody in, and you see a whole group of people that are only there because you prayed for them, and you shared the Gospel with them. What a treasure that will be. What a wealthy person you will be in the Lord. Now some of you might be here this morning, you might be thinking, I'm not a Christian But my life's not messy. I have a nice house. I have a nice job. I have a nice car. I have a nice family. Everything's okay. Well, for you, you're kind of like the man or woman who goes to the doctor for an annual checkup. And you get the blood work done and you get the phone call a little earlier than you were expecting. And they they say, uh, you know, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, please sit down. Do you have a moment? Got some bad news to tell you. You have a terminal condition and you're about to die. And you say to the doctor or the person on the phone, I don't feel sick. There's nothing wrong with me. I just went jogging last night, played with my kids this morning. There's nothing wrong with me. Well, I'm sorry, sir or ma'am, that your, your, your body is riddled with illness. Uh, that's just not true. Well, spiritually speaking, that's your condition. If your life is together, 
but you're rejecting Jesus. The Bible would say you have a terminal condition because of your original sinful nature. Your condition is fatal. You will die and you will be punished forever because of your sins against God and others. And unless you turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, you will experience eternal suffering. Now the most loving doctor and the most loving person is going to tell you the bad news so that you receive the cure. Here's the good news for you. Jesus is the cure. So you might have come this morning because your friend or neighbor or family member asked you to come, but you didn't really want to think about Jesus. Jesus loves you so much, He wants you to think about Him. He's saying, come to Me today. I will free you and I will forgive you. So that's one way to respond. Another response is the way the demon-possessed man responded. And this is where we'll end. I love this response. Verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, Jesus and the disciples, the man who had been possessed with demons, begged him that, that he might be with him. So that's another natural response. This man was just freed by Jesus. Jesus, I want to come with you. Can I come with you? Got room in the boat. It's a really large boat. These people don't want anything to do with you, so I'm going to guess they don't want anything to do with me. Can I please come with you? I don't even know who you are, but I want to come with you. You just freed me. Jesus gives a little bit of a surprising answer. Look at verse 19. And he, Jesus, did not permit him, but said, said this. Love this. This is what Jesus would say to all of us who know him. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. How he has had mercy on you. Saying, you can't, can't go with me right now. One day you're going to be with me forever. But right now, here's your assignment. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. How he has had mercy on you. And look at verse 20. The man obeyed. The man went away. This is an easy assignment. And began to proclaim in the Decapolis, literally the ten cities, how much Jesus has done for him. And everyone marveled. That should be our response. If you're in Christ, you've received mercy, compassion, you've experienced Jesus' power of salvation, He is your authority. And now our assignment is go home to your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, people around you. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. We can do that. You can do that. This week, you can go and tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. And here's what you might be surprised. Listen to how the people responded. Everyone marveled. They marveled. How could this be? Well, it can be because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray and the band can come up. Jesus, you are the hope of the hopeless. You are our hope this morning. Lord, we love you trust in You. We worship You. We pray that You will receive praise and honor and glory today. But we also pray that You would use us to introduce others to You this week. Lord, would You stir us with compassion and amaze us with Your power as You saved maybe the most unexpected and most unlikely. And we, we pray that for Your glory. We pray that throughout town and throughout this region, that that would happen in every church in this area this morning. 
And Lord, we love you and we'll give you all the glory. We ask this in your name. Amen.